Hello and welcome to the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the best way to buy and learn about Bitcoin. I'm your host, Alex Danton, and we're excited to announce that we're bringing the Cafe Bitcoin conversation from Twitter Spaces to you on this show, the Cafe Bitcoin podcast, Monday through Friday, every week. Join us as we speak to guests like Michael Saylor, Len Alden, Corey Clipston, Greg Foss, Tomer Strohlight, and many others in the Bitcoin space. Also, be sure to hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode. You can join us live on Twitter Spaces Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific and 10 a.m. Eastern every morning to become part of the conversation yourself. Thanks again. We look forward to bringing you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast. morning tomer strolite welcome back from your thank you tropical exotic vacation that none of us else were on except for you and son (laughs) tomer joined our our team slack at swan the other day uh we do as all hands and he's all by the pool laying down by the pool getting some sun joining the team slack for the all hands call he's got this gigantic freaking grin on his face it was ridiculous yeah i want to go back i, I somehow wish i could be on vacation all i guess i would word you would get bored for reals that's a real thing morning peter How do I know this about the get bored thing? That was my life. Like uh, at one point in my life, I checked out. I went to Panama, Central America, and my objective was I'm going to sleep in late. I'm going to lay on the beach in a hammock. I'm going to drink beers and life is going to be good. That shit got old after like 30 days. All right. Good morning. And welcome to Cafe Bitcoin. Our mission for this show is to provide the signal in a sea of noise and teach the other 7 billion people on the planet why there's hope because of this bright orange feature that we call Bitcoin. Today, we're going to talk about being over the target as the lizards continue to realize what Bitcoin is, which is an existential threat to their, their power and the way that they're accustomed to running the human race. Uh, and then serious discussions in the United States of America about raising the nation's debt to $50 trillion. That's with a T. Mind blank. Later today, we have Sharish Kijodia. Hope I said his name right. Head of Treasury and Investor Relations for MicroStrategy. He's going to be joining us. We're talking about MicroStrategy World later, second hour. And I believe we have some, maybe some guests showing up as well. Nat Brunel, Dante Cook, Stefan Levera, possibly. All of the above. Right. Uh, the Starship full stack test launch was scheduled for today. I think it got scrubbed. That has nothing to do with Bitcoin, but it does make me sad. Looking forward to seeing that thing go. Uh, what else? Oh, okay. Let's get the day started out right. We've got a great video. Uh, some of you are aware of this. You may have already seen it. Maybe you haven't. I didn't see it until this morning until Jacob showed it to me. And uh, this is Hillary talking about Bitcoin. If you're ready, let's roll it. 
more area that I hope nation states start paying greater attention to is the rise of cryptocurrency. Because what looks like uh, a very interesting and, and somewhat exotic uh, effort to uh, literally mine uh, new coins in order to trade with them has the potential for undermining uh, currencies, for undermining the uh, uh, role of the dollar as the reserve currency, for destabilizing nations, perhaps starting with small ones, but going much larger. So when we think about this new environment in which we find ourselves that we've been discussing for the last uh, some minutes, um, we can't just think about nation state. Oh, noes. Oh, noes. It's very exotic. And it's very mining, literally mining. Oh, my gosh. And it's potentially destabilizing. They're, they're, waking, they're waking up, Alex. They're waking up starting to recognize that this thing is a danger to them. Um, I, I don't know that I find this actually funny. I think this is this is a little scary. I don't think we've seen the full force of the uh, governments of the world attacking Bitcoin yet. Anyone else have any thoughts on that? I think it's pretty, it, it speaks volumes that... Uh, she would acknowledge it, that it's on her radar, and that she's concerned about it. It feels like they can't stop talking about it. I think they can't stop talking about it. <laughs> Tomer? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that this, this is, uh, there's two things that are very revealing about this. One is, it's in their sights. Like, they, they, they know they need to be talking about it. They, you can also hear from what they're saying about it. They clearly don't understand anything at all about it, right? They, they've just been briefed that this thing keeps coming. It keeps going. This is why we need to do a CBDC or some other kind of digital currency. And it's dangerous because yada, yada. And they don't really, you're not literally mining anything. And so it's, you know, the one nation that's adopted it as its legal tender has been stabilized rather than destabilized. So it's, it's, it's all this fear-based narrative. Uh, but they know that they can't ignore it, but they don't even know what it is. That's just it's something yep. new. And so it's like, it's, so it really is. Watch. Yeah. It okay. Really is like the, the end I'm going to, oh, I'm going to interrupt I'll, I'll, for a moment and say, stop the presses. We need to stop the presses. We have to, we have to send out an alert. Oh, sorry. We have the Giga Chad on stage right now. Good morning, Mr. Michael Seller. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You can hear me. Okay. We can hear you loud and clear. Was not expecting you to be here today, and I'm definitely not disappointed that you showed up, though. Well, I'm just making a drive-by. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to. I wanted to hear what uh, Natalie and Stefan are gonna are gonna discuss, and I'm interested in in um, talking with people about MicroStrategy World that's coming up here in a few weeks. Well, outstanding. I don't think that uh, Nat and Stefan were going to be talking about that until the second hour of the show. However, I am more than happy to talk about it right now. Uh, <laughs> okay, I understand. Um, tell, us, uh, tell us a little bit about what this thing is. Thank you for stopping in here. Sure. Um, well, <clears throat> you know, uh, we've uh, always had an annual conference and uh, we 
had to cancel it in person in 2021 and 2022 uh, because of all the the COVID restrictions and guidelines and, uh, you know, in the situation in industry. And so this is our first in-person user conference in three years. And it's going to be in Orlando, Florida, a nice venue. Uh, We've got thousands of uh, enterprise customers and uh, our own employees coming together. And uh, we have um, we have traditionally had uh, the last two years uh, a Bitcoin for corporations uh, virtual conference. We did it, in, I guess, 2021, 2022. But uh, this is our first uh, Bitcoin for corporations in-person conference. And uh, on Wednesday, May 3rd, there'll be a, um, a serious discussion of uh, Bitcoin for corporations. And then on, on Thursday, uh, May 4th, there'll be a lightning for corporations discussion. And um, so the, the second day is primarily a technical day. And uh, it's all about um, building layer three applications integrated with the layer two lightning network. Um, and the first day is, is more about how can companies acquire and hold Bitcoin on their balance sheet and um, working through all of the various uh, compliance issues and accounting issues, tax issues, and also some discussion of, um, of Wall Street views uh, toward Bitcoin and Wall Street investors and regulatory issues and the like. So um, it's, uh, it's an exciting time. We've got, a, I think, an all-star cast, uh, lots and lots of leaders in the lightning uh, ecosystem, and then lots of uh, thought leaders on, uh, in the Bitcoin, corporate Bitcoin area. So. It should be uh, it should be a nice uh, nice time. That's fantastic. I'm personally you know, you know um, I uh, mm-hmm. I really wanted uh, to be here to support Natalie and Stefan. So if they're not coming on till eleven, then maybe I should just duck in at eleven o'clock when they show up. Well, tell you me are, what the schedule is. You are more than welcome to do that. That is the uh, the plan schedule. We've also got Sharish. Uh, coming at 11 as well. So uh, if you want to come back, you're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, I think, I think I'll do that. I'll, I'll uh, jump back on at 11 o'clock. You guys continue with your thing. Okay, sounds great. Yeah, but by the way, just so you know, you're welcome, obviously, to stop in here anytime you want. <laughs> Who's going to say no to Michael Saylor? Very cool. Good morning, Stefan Lavera. Good morning, Walker. How are you guys doing? Hey guys, yeah, I thought I'd just uh, drop in and just chill. I'm I'm kind of just chilling for a bit until uh, until the uh, you know the hour that uh, we'll be chatting with Shirish and uh, Natalie. But uh, happy to listen in. Walker, tell me about stop the presses. Wow, I mean, this global movement has really uh, gotten some legs underneath it and has uh, begun to run. I think. Uh, it seems that it, it can't be stopped at this point. Um, the presses will be stopped, but the movement will not be silenced. Uh, it's been pretty neat. Um, we've got, you know, artists, activists, 
writers coming together around the world, just trying to call on the New York Times to stop these wasteful practices. And I mean, their silence has been deafening, that's for sure. But I think at some point they will be forced to respond and to change their wasteful ways. Yeah, you had a, you had a bombshell report on um, the amount of trees that the New York, Town, New York Times cuts down for its print media business. And I mean, they could follow the lead of Ethereum and just go purely digital proof of stake. Why are they using these physical resources when they could switch to proof of stake? You know, it really, it makes no sense. And, and I think it's even worse the problem than people realize because it's not just about the trees themselves, that they are murdering and um, they are killing those trees. Uh, the trees are no longer alive when they become newspaper, that's for sure. But it's also about all the resources that go into the chopping down of those trees, all the fossil fuel powered trucks that are required, all the big heavy logging equipment, all the transportation uh, wasted resources to get those trees then to the paper mill. Well, first they've got to go to a lumber mill, then to a paper mill. So there's trucks along the way there. And then the trucks to transport that pulp to, you know, another facility and then all of the additional trucks and planes to ship their papers all around the country and around the world. So I don't think anybody can even grasp the scope of this problem. But if I had to guess, I mean, I would say that it certainly uses more energy than small countries like Liechtenstein. Um, and I'm sure it uses more than some of the other small countries on, on that global list. So it's really a shocking, a shocking scope to the problem. You could, could you even go as far to say that one New York Times is backed by fossil fuels? Well, it's, it's certainly not backed by uh, any other sort of fuel. So I don't know, you know, what else you could back it with. It's certainly not transported with electric vehicles. You know, the, the tragedy, the tragedy to me, the part that really, really gets to me is that those trees were completely defenseless. There was nothing they could do when they were facing this mass slaughter, this mass genocide-like action against them. It's really messed up. It hurts my feelings. I'm just well, shocked. That's... Oh, please. I just, I just wanted to say, Walker, I, I think the work you're doing, the investigative journalism is so important really to to explore these, these significant issues. And I just find myself asking over and over again, like, won't somebody think of the children? Well, it's a very simple question. And I, I appreciate those words, but this movement is bigger than me. This isn't about me. This is about the trees and the planet. Uh, but you know, it's a very simple question. Do you want your children to have trees? And if the answer is yes, well then the New York Times needs to stop the presses. I mean, it's as simple as that. And personally, I would like, I don't have children yet, but plan on it. And I'd like them to have trees and their, their children to have trees. And maybe even if we're lucky, their children, but if the New York times has their way, we're going to be living in a, a barren, barren, uh, treeless world. And that will be a sad, sad day. And we can allow corporate greed to take precedence over our ecological environment. This is just pure corporate greed, which, by the way, is driving inflation. So what's going on, New York Times? Well, not to mention how many pages in the printed New York Times are simply big corporate advertisements. Now, that's a question, isn't it? Big corporate advertisements that are just lining the New York Times' pocket as they, you know, line their coffins with even more dead trees. I mean, you just got to follow the money. I also, 
I have a pretty good authority that a lot of these trees are actually being cut down with orphans. I'm talking child slave labor, cutting down these trees, destroying the environment. It just, it just continues to get worse. Listen, people, if you want to put your shoulder to the wheel to this obviously worthwhile movement, follow Walker America. There's more information on his feed about all of that stuff. We're going to keep rolling with the show. You are listening to Cafe Bitcoin. Good morning. Welcome. This is episode 325. Shoutouts to Rag, BAF, and Meyer BTC over there on Fountain. Uh, let's do some stats real quick and we'll keep rolling. The Bitcoin impenetrable force field level is at seven day average 351.1 exahash per second. And we're like three days away from our next difficulty adjustment. Sounds like a lot of exahash, a lot of power protecting this thing we call Bitcoin. It's the most, it's the most powerful and secure computing network in the history of mankind. It's pretty amazing. 388 days to the next halving. By the way, this one stat you can find on Time Chain Stats. If you ever want to look up a whole bunch of stats on Bitcoin, our very own and has created an amazing place. And on this site, you can see that one Bitcoin will buy you 7,411 Big Macs. <laughs> a lot of Big Macs. I'm not sure why anybody, any human being would ever want to do that, but you know, you can. It is an option. 3,386 sats buys one dirty fiat dollar. The inverse of that, of course, is you're not too late. You can still buy 3,386 sats with one dirty fiat dollar. And uh, that that's pretty awesome because you never know what those sats are going to be worth, right? Like rewind the clock. Oh, you want to hear something funny about what it's going to be worth? Let's move that uh, the Alex Tim video up in the roster and let's get that one ready right now. This is pretty funny. So this is a story about, you'll recognize these voices. There's going to be a quiz after the, after this uh, clip plays. So pay attention here. See if you recognize the voices uh, and, and what they're talking about here and, and what certain people could have had if they paid just a little bit more attention to Bitcoin. Go ahead, roll it. Free. And I'm not saying that Max Kaiser is some secret agent of the New World Order, but he used to be a top stockbroker, you know, knows the Soros is all them. And, and he's a friend of mine. I like him. But in 2000 and, 10, was it 2009, uh, we were in... Watford, England. Watford, England. I think you were there too. Yeah, I was there too, yeah, during the Bilderberg <laughs> meeting. And he comes into the hotel one morning. We're not at the Bilderberg Hotel. It shut down our hotel. And he goes, listen, who's your IT guy? And I go, well, I brought a guy that's a driver, and I brought Rob Dew as a camera guy, and I brought Leanne Magadu. I barely know how to, you know, I know how to do stuff on the internet, but I don't know what a, what a wallet is. He goes, I, I want, I've got a digital currency wallet. It's Bitcoin. It's going to be the future. I'm going to give you, no, he says this is just true stories. I know. Yeah. He goes, I want to give you 10,000 of these. Mm. He goes, I want you to give away half of them. Keep the rest for yourself. Believe me, it's the most important thing you're ever going to do in your life. And he was already going to be interviewed by that day. He got so mad. He refused to do an interview with me when I didn't take the time and couldn't figure it out. He literally never got mad at me. The many times I've hung with him, he literally was like, F this, you're an idiot and basically stormed off. Now, a couple of days later, he was being interviewed by some guy that did interviews in a taxi cab. He said, come over, I'll do the interview now. We did it. But he literally turned red and blew up because he should have kicked my ass. He should have said, you're taking this, you son of a bitch. Was, I wish what, he would have punched me in the nose and said, <laughs> you know, I like can, they live, put the damn glasses on, like take that Bitcoin. You son of a bitch. Right. At you its can, peak, I think it was worth like 600 million or something. I mean, yeah. Six, wow. I'm sure you all recognize that voice now. You imagine? Wow. 
back in the day when Max Kaiser was running around giving away 10,000 Bitcoin at a time. Currently worth over $300 million today. Yeah, I don't know how you sleep at night after. Insane, right? 200, yeah, I just ran the numbers on uh, BitFo as an example. 294 million US dollars, which is, uh, you know, quite something. Um, but look, and that's the other reality of it as well. Like, I'm sure even if he had given him those coins, he might have ended up spending them at some earlier point or selling them back for fiat or something else. Um, but yeah, I think it does show a valuable lesson that, you know, you should try to retain Bitcoin exposure. You know, it's about trying to stay solvent so that you can get Bitcoin and then keep that Bitcoin, because that's also an important part of the puzzle is to not just stack those sats, but to keep them. Yeah, it, it also um, shows that, you know, distribution of Bitcoin is is important. And without events like that, without that kind of, uh, without that person or without Max in this case, um, you know, going ahead and just- And it's interesting, isn't it? That um, for people who are, you know, so prominent, right? People like Alex Jones, Tim Bull, uh, and uh, the other guy's name, uh, Rudkowski, right? Luke Rudkowski, right? These guys, they're all very, you know, they've got their own shows, they have their own audience, you know, and, and these people are, really at the forefront. And so for them, if, if they couldn't even see it, at, at, you know, when, when they had Max Tizer literally pounding the table in front of them, it just shows you how early we are. I think these are all indicators that, uh, you know, even the people who should have known about Bitcoin and should have known to, you know, had, had the right kinds of people teaching them or at least trying to tell them, uh, you know, even they weren't able to understand the message at that time. And I'm sure now, maybe they are now starting to regret that and think about, well, okay, yeah, maybe I should have listened to Max back then or to those, <laughs> those crazy Bitcoiners back in those days. And all you can do is listen to the crazy Bitcoiners today. We're trying to tell you the same thing. And we're not so crazy now, are we? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it, it's just, it's, it's piled up and, and we are still extremely early when you when you actually look at it and you think about it we are still at such an early stage bitcoin is still worth in aggregate so little of what its potential is and so few people hold it and so few people understand it when when we were talking earlier in the, in the show uh, before michael joined us we were talking about how hillary was discussing bitcoin and clearly didn't understand anything at all about it but understands that she needs to be dis disrespecting it and and I, I think that's all of these are indications that we're getting later but we're still extremely early not to underestimate uh hillary clinton or any other politician is it possible that they completely well not completely but they have a good grasp of it but do not want to let on that they have a good grasp of it because that would be admitting to the truth not in Hillary's case. No, I, I don't think she, like, think of how much time and energy you have to put into really understanding why this thing works and how it works. And, and even for those of us who put in, like, as much as a decade of our lives are still learning and, and still appreciating. So it's not like some politician who's got all sorts of other things going on in their lives uh, does a drive-by and amasses knowledge of the whole thing. Uh, and there, and there, while there's so much more information available to learn about Bitcoin now, there's still relatively few books about Bitcoin as compared to, say, books about America or the U.S. dollar or about 
bonds, even, you know, any narrow subject in finance. So I think it's, I think there may be some people in government who are aware of the importance and seriousness and unstoppability and value of Bitcoin. But I think these are people who, you know, anyone who puts that amount of time into studying it eventually becomes a Bitcoiner and kind of either wants to write a book about it or wants to dedicate a lot of their time to it. Or, they, or they're one of these people who just does these drive-by things and says, oh, I, I hate Bitcoin. There's nothing really there. And they abandon their search. And that, this is the big asymmetric thing in understanding of Bitcoin. People, there are, you just don't see people who really understand Bitcoin very well who are uh, detractors of Bitcoin. The more time and energy people put into studying it, the more they say, wow, this thing makes a lot of sense. This thing does seem to be, solve a lot of problems that nothing else in the world solves that are very big problems in the world. So um, and I, I'm happy if someone can contradict me and say, no, here's someone who really knows a lot about Bitcoin. It's taken the time to study it. The things they say about it are accurate and true, and they have a negative opinion about it. Normally, when we hear critics, like we, we joke and we say Bitcoin needs better enemies or Bitcoin needs better critics because their criticisms are factually flawed and easily disprovable. You know, um, something that, that I'm curious about is what were the interactions like? Because you take someone like a Hillary, right? There's more than one of them. There are plenty of them throughout government, right? You take somebody like that who, if I had to guess, she kind of likes being in charge of stuff. And at some point, they probably said to their staff, their people, whoever they're in charge of, just go shut that thing down. Like, I'm tired of hearing about this Bitcoin thing, right? And then their minions would have had to figure out, they would have had to go figure out, okay, how do we shut it down? And they would have had to look into it. And at some point, they would have had to come to the conclusion, oh, damn it, we can't shut this down. I'm going to go have to go back and tell her that. And then going back and telling her that. And then like, what would the reaction be? It's just a funny mental exercise to me. What do you mean you can't find the founder? What, what do you mean there's no one in charge? You know, I said, go find the person in charge and make him an offer he can't refuse. And well, we couldn't find, there, it's known that there's nobody in charge. So how does it run it? Who runs it? Tens of thousands of people all over the world. It, and it is, once you start going down that path, it can become incredibly frustrating for people who are used to traditionally being able to pull all the strings of the world with one or two commands because those commands don't work against Bitcoin. Yeah. It's like, wouldn't, wouldn't that be the reason though, that, that she makes the comments that she makes that you can, I mean, I could hear, I could hear in her voice that she was, she was definitely concerned with this thing. So I, I don't know how you can, how you can say somebody is concerned with something and yet they have um, no knowledge of it. I mean, that would be that would be the ignore it stage or the make no, fun of it stage. No, 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 the, no, 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 no. You, you, you don't have to deeply understand Bitcoin to A, recognize. So if this happened, this scenario that I'm talking about, if at some point she's like, go shut this thing down and her staffers came back to you or, or whoever came back to her and says, Hillary, we can't shut it down. I'm sorry, it can't be shut down. At that point, I'm guessing the reaction would be, okay, what, whatever, it's not important. And then just going on and telling the world, this thing's not important. You can, you can safely ignore it. Yet, years later, 
here. It's still, it's still here. And it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. At which point, even if you don't fully understand it, you might be a little concerned. Yeah, I, you know, I agree. I, I what I was saying 100%, is, it's not that she doesn't understand sorry, that she can't stop it. Uh, it. It's that she doesn't understand how it works or what it does or why it's, why it's valuable. She, she knows it's, it's like a stone in her shoe. And she said, get this stone out of my shoe. And people said, we can't. And it's getting bigger. Like that, that's the extent of her awareness of it. If I was trying to come up with a metaphor for it or an analogy for it. So, but we can't have this, this dual narrative. We can't say that at the same time that politicians don't understand, they don't know. And yet at the same time, say that the, sure the government can. is attacking Bitcoin. No, sure we can. And this is something that I'm going to encourage people to not make the mistake of doing. Don't lump everyone in government into the same thing. They're not all the same. People, I mean, people are different. You have organizations and organizations are made up of people. And all of the people in the organization are different. We all, you know, the people might have different views. They might have different politics. They might have different beliefs. They might have different levels of understanding of what Bitcoin is. And that is true for government as well. It, it bothers me when people say, well, government is this or it's that or it's this or it's not this or it's not that. You, you can't do that. You have to acknowledge that at every level of not just government, we're talking about even in media. You know, you guys can remember back when nobody in media understood Bitcoin, but now more and more people are understanding it. Joe Kernan. He's all over it. He's like asking Jamie Dimon at Davos, yeah, what about, you know, what about this thing? And, and any major person he gets on, he asks them. And Becky Quick is starting to get in on it. You know what I mean? You can tell she's not fully decided yet, but she's definitely not anti-Bitcoin anymore. I'm not sure if she ever was, but you understand what I'm saying. Slowly but surely, you're starting to see this process by which Bitcoiners are infiltrating every level of human hierarchy. And it's this abstract power hierarchy thing that Tomer was alluding to before where people are like, shut this thing down and it can't and they don't understand because it doesn't compute to them because they're used to being able to control the entire world with abstract power hierarchy. Tomer read the book. Yeah, like you, you've got one guy in the government make Alex's point, writing a 400-page thesis about why Bitcoin is strategically important, not just even as money, but for the future of, of the United States. And then you've got someone who ran for president and was deeply involved in government for a long time and still to some degree is saying, this thing is dangerous and destabilizes nations and people are literally mining for coins. Um, so that just shows the spectrum of differences in, in interest and curiosity and knowledge that you have amongst two individuals who are both affiliated with the government. Probably as polar opposite as you can get. And then on the local level, you have huge changes happening, right? There's Bitcoin bills now being passed left and right. So this is the thing. All right. Anybody else have any other thoughts on this? Otherwise, we will move on. Okay. Uh, we have another video lined up for you. So I don't know if you guys have seen this site. It's called the US debt. It's called usdebtclock.org. If you've never seen it, 
recommend you go check it out. It's kind of mind blowing. Um, it shows you the United States debt, uh, at a sovereign level, at an individual level, the debt owed per taxpayer. It shows you the total outstanding, uh, obligations of the United States government, which is mind blowing. Um, anyway, there's a discussion, little discussion going on in regards to the debt with our very favorite little treasury person. If you're ready, go ahead and play it. You're going to drive the debt from somewhere around 32 trillion up to about 50 trillion dollars, correct? Yes, but what what I believe is the single most import, important metric for judging the fiscal stance of the country is real net interest as a share of GDP. Okay. We have so so are you concerned when you GDP. when you take the debt from 32 to 50 trillion dollars? Are you concerned who's going to buy that debt and also, at what rate they'll expect to be compensated for buying riskier and riskier debt? Are you concerned about that? Well, if the net interest, real net interest cost of the debt remains low relative to GDP, and we're on a sustainable fiscal, well, we're, we're not, course. we're not, we're not on a well, sustainable I, path. Are you, I, just... I, I... All right. If you are up here and you have a thought about that, let's hear it. If you're in the audience and you want to come up and talk about this subject, please come up. Joe Carlos, sorry, I'm throwing you an invite. I think you probably have some knowledge. I, I just want to make one quick mathematical point. Going from $30 trillion in debt to $50 trillion in debt is increasing your debt by two-thirds, 66%. Uh, so that's, that's not an insignificant, especially when the absolute amount is is about $20 trillion. And so if you're talking about increasing the amount of debt and saying it in the same breath that the interest as a percentage of GDP might not go up, it means that the GDP is going to go up by 66%. Well, we know that real GDP is not going to go up by 66% in any short period of time. It's just not, it's not feasible. So there's an implicit, although she probably hasn't thought to do the math because she's in the hot seat when she's saying it, that inflation is going to fill up the rest of it, that there's going to be somewhere in the order in that period of time between when we go from 30 trillion to 50 trillion, 66% or thereabouts inflation. Uh, and so the loss of the purchasing power of the dollar will make GDP nominally look like it's going up. And this is how she plans to deal with the fact that it's only not a problem if interest rate, interest payments as a percentage of GDP don't go up. Now, Maybe they plan to lower interest rates significantly uh, to help pay for it, but we know that that creates further inflation. So either way, we're looking at this notion of inflation being essential or that we have some discovery that grows GDP by 66% in this short period of time, uh, which I, I think we'd all acknowledge would be a, a dream come true, but it's, it's probably just a fantasy. Terrence Yang, good morning. Good morning. I was just going to say the um, the U.S. should do what Silicon Valley Bank and these other banks should have done. They should hedge out their interest rate exposure duration risk um, with derivatives or whatever, but they probably won't do it. Or or just issue like floating rate debt, right, instead of fixed rate debt.
All right. Once again, if you guys are not familiar, usdebtclock.org, go check that out. It's, um, it's just mind-blowing. It's very difficult to wrap the mind around these kind of numbers. $31.688 trillion of U.S. national debt. The debt per citizen, $94,661. The debt per taxpayer, $246,868. Not to mention U.S. unfunded obligations. It says liabilities. I'm not really sure if it's a liability or not. Um, but that number is even scarier. That's up to 182.997 trillion with a T like Medicare liability is 35 trillion. Social security liability is 22.59 trillion. Wow. It's all just crazy to me. Mind blowing. Yeah. I think it's funny too. When, when you hear all the, the hand wringing about needing to raise the debt ceiling. Um, and, you know, saying, oh, if they, you know, yelling, just going out there ad nauseum and saying, if the U.S. defaults, you know, it would be catastrophic, you know, absolutely catastrophic. And just, hey, it's a great time for us Bitcoiners to remind everyone that the U.S. has defaulted, I believe, four times. Um, it, and, and historians can correct me on this, but I believe 1862 um, 1933, which was the gold bonds default, um, uh, 1968, which was silver certificates for, uh, silver dollars. And then 71, uh, I think, you know, what the fuck happened in 1971, uh, we all, uh, up here on this stage know very well, but if you don't in the audience, you should go to, uh, what is the website? WTF happened in 1971.com. Um, that has some really great, uh, great charts for you. Uh, which if you are not familiar with 1971, it's a, a year that you'll hear Bitcoiners talking about a lot. And there's a good reason for that um, because the U.S. defaulted um, and refused to redeem dollars held by foreign governments for gold uh, under the Bretton Woods Agreement. So effectively breaking that and defaulting on our debt. Yeah. And, you know, and like, Walker, just make a really quick point. What? You're, you're bringing this up in the context of Yellen says it would be a disaster if the U.S. did default. It was a disaster. Uh, exactly. You know, like it's, it, dis, it, it led to, amongst many other things, the, the hollowing out or the impoverishing of the middle class of America. Right? Like Amer middle class America used to be a, in a situation where just about anyone who was willing to work could find work and the work would buy them a house and take care of their family and allow them to have a family. And now we're just, we're not in that situation any longer. And, and there's a lot of complicated dominoes in between the, the default and, and being in that situation where everyone in the household has to work and they can't seem to save money and houses have become unaffordable and all of these th things that used to be accessible to the middle class are no longer accessible to them to the point where we see them having lost a tremendous percentage of the income of the income of the GDP of the nation. And so the next default could be even more tragic. And and even no, more I, 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 I agree completely. And, and I was not to, uh, trying to minimize the impact of a default, but rather to say as Bitcoiners, this is a great period, uh, to use as education, um, in the modern context. Um, and the difficulty I think that they face is that they're really, you know, it's a rock and a hard place and they're right in the middle. 
uh, because, okay, it's catastrophic if we default. It's also uh, catastrophic perhaps in a more slow, drawn out, uh, bleeding way if we just continue to kick the proverbial can down the road and continue to create more money to be able to, you know, uh, minimize the impact of our ever-growing debt. Like, there are no good options for them, uh, nor for the American people, really. Yeah, inside the system, there's no good options because it's already gone over the cliffs, in a sense, right? Like, we, we can either default or inflate. That's what all the macroeconomists are pointing out. It's impossible to disagree with it when you look at the numbers. So you want to exit. Well, if only there was some way, some, some sort of magic internet money that existed. I don't know. Maybe somebody yeah. could create that. Or maybe if the New York you Times could, could write an article of PC. If, if I'm <laughs> and highlight this magic internet money, this thing where they're literally mining these coins, they're literally mining. Mm. You guys are out of your minds. I don't ever have this. Well, if it does, might might be a good idea just to get yourself a little bit, just in case it catches on. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Over 3,000 sats per dirty fiat dollar right now. What if those sats are worth 30,000 US dollars in buying power 10 years from now? What if? Hmm? What's the What's the share, Ant? What is the share per person on the planet? If you took 21 million Bitcoin, you divide it by close to, what is it, 8 billion people almost? What's the share? Yeah, I just updated it. Let's see. I have it right here. It's um, it's like 260,000 sats, I believe. Okay, so what Ann is saying is, for those of you who don't understand this, haven't done the math yet, there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin. There will never be more than that. And in fact, a bunch of those are already lost and gone forever. So there's less than that. But just let's just assume there's still 21 million. You divide that by every person on the planet, it comes out to less than 300,000 sats per person. So in other words, if you took 130 fiat dollars right now and bought Bitcoin with that, you would have more than your sort of fair share uh, portion of of the amount of Bitcoin, assuming it was evenly distributed to all humans on the planet. Every set that you have beyond that amount is essentially taking away, so to speak, from what somebody else might get. I mean, everybody can always buy it. I don't want to give the, the idea that it's unfair in some way because it's not. It's the most fair money the human race has ever seen, in my opinion. Some people have that question, you know, they come to Bitcoin and they're like, well, only the people who started in the beginning are benefiting from this. Everybody else is screwed, right? That's not true, though, is it? What do you guys think about that? Man, it's not true at all. I've zapped out like 300,000 sets this week just uh, as a part of a little experiment of sorts. Like you could, you can go on Noster right now and you can get your single person's share of Bitcoin just by shitposting memes and people's happy for it, guys. Like, wow. You have a chance to, to get more Bitcoin than most people in the world have or may ever have just by shitposting. What a time to be alive. Yeah. And it's, it's funny math. I mean, that's, I mean, no one says, I mean, that Bitcoin has to be equally distributed by everybody. Like that's nonsense. And 
you know, on planet earth, there's always going to be people who have more money than other people. So that the whole idea is silly, but it's at like a cool baseline to think about that, you know, the supply is hard cap, uh, population is a, is a variable and, you know, price comes into play, current price. And yeah, I mean, you can get zapped your earth bag, uh, but also in 2023, I mean, you can still go buy it over the counter, get an earth bag for like 77 bucks today. It's not bad. I like earth bag. It's a, it's a good term. Yeah. I haven't heard that one before. I'm going to start using it. The earth bag. Dombe, tell us about this, uh, Bitcoin only mission in El Salvador. What's going on down there? Oh man, I'm looking at the ocean right now. Um, before I talk El Salvador Walker, don't forget the New York Times has been making regular people feel stupid for years with some of the worst crossword puzzles ever created. Um, sorry if you like the crossword puzzle. I just, I, I can never solve it. So no, it's going great down here. We're on Bitcoin only. I got a crazy story from last night. You guys are going to love this. Uh, so much to report on from El Salvador and, uh, you know, it's funny talking about the allocations that people will have, uh, if you divide it by all the people, the El Salvadorians are getting ahead and we're dishing out sats, uh, and educating, especially in areas outside of El Zante. And, um, we had one that was a stubborn one that got away from us, a little restaurant, actually an American. And last night we went to go eat, ordered food, storm starts, lightning strikes, transformer blown. Guess what? Payment systems down. Had to talk to our guy and go, look, man, like I know last time we were here, we were talking about Bitcoin lights. How are we going to pay this bill? We're coming back. He wants to, he's going to finish up with the setup, get him set up, but really eye-opening on point of sale stuff learning so much on kind of what the barriers are. Nothing uh, has been more educational to find barriers to adoption than, you know, committing to only using Bitcoin because people will open up about it and tell you their problems and the issues. So unreal trip, taking tons of notes, uh, going to write some stuff up on it. And again, uh, really encourage anyone who's on the fence for coming down to head down and, and go Bitcoin only on a mission. Man, sounds awesome right now. Yeah, the surf is not bad either. All right. Well, let's do some announcements and then we'll keep rolling. I want to shout out to Dante Cook in the audience, throwing you an invite if you want to come up here. Uh, also, shout out to Matthew Deladova, repping the swan gear for the Sacramento Kings. My understanding is, is that, so the story goes, uh, it's a playoff game and, uh, he's on the side, he's injured. He's wearing a swan Jersey or a swan like hoodie kind of thing. One of his teammates asked him, he's like, Hey man, how much are they paying you to wear that thing? And he's just laughing because nothing swan paying him, nothing. <laughs> I was like, funny. Anyway, congrats on the win. 
first uh, playoff win in 17 years, I guess. So that's pretty good. I think, uh, personally, I think it's because he was repping the swan gear. That's just me. It's just me, though. It's definitely because of the swan gear. Something to it. Get on the mission. Uh, all right, you're listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Preferred hangout for some of the smartest minds in the industry. We do this live every day on Twitter Spaces. If you can't catch the live show, it is also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple. You can throw me or Swan to follow to be notified of the when those drop. We are helping crowdfunding campaign where all proceeds beyond production costs go to Bitcoin Core and open source lightning development. There was an article 2014 by Bitstein called Everyone is a Scammer. This has been read by Guy Swan. It's been put on vinyl immortalized on vinyl. If you want to be a part of that, link is in the nest. Alaska, Juno, Bitcoin boot camps coming up on May 6th. I'm going to be remoting in alongside Sam Callahan, Dom Bay, Dennis Porter, Andy Pitt, Greg Foss. Guys, uh, Wade Hoke has been organizing this thing. He's on the ground doing the hard work. He's invited Decision makers such as union leaders, native corporation executives, legislators, their staffers, they may need some encouragement to attend. If you are in Alaska, call them and tell them that their constituents want to be represented at this event. uh, And it's important for them to understand and learn about Bitcoin. Later today, we're going to be talking a bit about MicroStrategy Day with Sharice Jajodia, the head of Treasury and Investor Relations. For MicroStrategy, we'll also have Stefan on here. Nat will be on here. Sailor dropped in here earlier this morning. I don't even know if you guys saw that. But he'll be back for that, I believe. We've got Dante Cook as well. Excited for that. A couple more quick items. We'll keep rolling. Uh, featured bit business on bitlist.com. Escape to El Salvador. Speaking of El Salvador, go to bitlist.com. Check out Escape to El Salvador. They do residency, citizenship, business services for El Salvador. And then the featured job, CleanSpark is hiring a mining operations technician out of Sandersville, Georgia, full-time position. Go to BitcoinerJobs.com. Finally, Swan is sponsoring the Toxic Happy Hour Pleb Party in Miami on May 18th. I'm going to that. I hope you are too. So things are awesome because like actually getting together with people in person, Bitcoiners, there's nothing like it. Sometimes Bitcoiners are like, or people, who've never been to a Bitcoin conference or live gathering, they're like, well, I don't, I don't know anybody. So I'm a little concerned, you know, I don't know anyone. Trust me. You go to this thing, you, the link is in the nest. You go to the Toxic Happy Hour pleb party, you're going to come away with friends, I promise. And, and you, they might be friends for life. I mean, these are Bitcoiners. It's awesome. Like the last time, these guys did this. They did it at Pacific Bitcoin, got to hang out with Walker and Carla and a bunch of other really awesome Bitcoiners. Man, it was a great time. So I hope you come. All right, Peter, you've had your hand up for a bit. What's up? Okay, so two things. One, about uh, about a Bitcoin conference. Um, you go there, you'd say that you don't know anybody. The reality is you know everybody. And it is like going to a high school reunion only you've never met these people before. It's just that kind of vibe. It's just like a 20-year or 30-year high school reunion. I know there's a bunch of people here in the audience that, you know, haven't had their fifth high school reunion yet, but whatever. Um, 
And then the other thing I wanted to say, since you forgot about it, Alex, um, I wanted to thank Terrence, even though I hate thanking Terrence. Terrence and I have a little thing going on in the background. Um, I want to thank him because I turned a defamatory comment. Oh, my God. I turned a $25,000 tax bill into a $1,000 tax bill. Thank you, Swan, for helping me do tax loss harvesting. Awesome. Always glad to hear that. You're welcome. Nice. All right. Go ahead, Walker. Man, just speaking of taxes, um, it's going to be pretty wild to see how little tax revenue the government's going to collect this year. Just wanted to toss that out there. They don't care. They have a money printer. Can't wait to hear that baby hum. Shout out to Dr. Jeff Ross in the audience throwing you an invite. All right, we have seven minutes, guys, until the Giga Chad returns. You can talk about whatever you like. I don't care. Hey, I wanted to make a comment about what we were talking about earlier with the um, uh, uh, with the the initiative to um, you know get rid of they have the New York Times stop killing trees. I, I saw a tweet. Um, where something like 5,000 people had, had joined that uh, particular effort. Uh, and it was compared to the, um, what, where no money was spent. It was just in a few days. And it was compared to the amount of people who have joined uh, Change the Code, uh, Greenpeace's uh, effort to uh, change the code of Bitcoin. And they have spent um, millions of dollars and ha- over the last three or four months have a uh, half the number of people um, uh, who have committed to that effort. So I, I thought it was interesting that that this that this thing to have the New York Times. I, I think instead of we're saying stop murdering trees, just how about just stop lying? Um, you know, is something that is uh, for the people, and the and the people are are paying attention to this. And I think it's I think it's really a beautiful thing. I want to clarify, we are actively calling on the New York Times to stop the presses. Um, This is not a joke. This is not satire. And we will not sit idly by as they continue decimating our planet with their waste paper practices. Thank you. And if you want to join the growing coalition of people from around the world, uh, you can follow NY Times Up on Twitter. We're also on Noster. You can also go to nytimesup.org and we have a website. Um, hashtag stop the presses and hashtag nytimesup. And approximately how much have you spent on this campaign and does it involve any paper? Well, I mean, I've spent my time and my energy um, and and that is it. Uh, I have I have used that which has a as an associated cost. I, you know, I value in sats but I consider it a donation of my time and energy sat value to the cause. Um, I also have zapped out. I put out a call on Noster, um, posting up the, uh, just basically saying, if anyone in the plug chain wants to contribute, um, I'll zap you for any memes you make, uh, for any new graphics you make. Um, and then also threw up the like transparent ENG of the, the logo. Um, and shout out to, uh, Anil said for, creating that initial logo. I've since, uh, been 
playing around with it and messing around with it, but there's a, now a transparent PNG of it out there. Club chain is just running with on Noster and putting on everything. Um, so it's a grassroots movement, you know, it's, uh, of the people, by the people, for the people, and against these tree murdering, uh, kleptocrats at the New York times. They're going to have to take it seriously at some point. We're not going away. You know, we won't be silenced. That's why we're on Noster too, just in case they try to shut us down on Twitter for tagging them incessantly. Uh, we're going to keep speaking the truth to power. Have you seen cleanupfiat.com, Walker? Maybe you can throw that in there. Oh, I have not. I'm going to check this out right now. Yeah, let us know what it comes up with. Alex, I know oh, you, that's uh, nice. That's nice. Okay. It, it redirects to uh, bitcoin.org. Uh, there we go. There. I, I recently purchased titcoin.org. Um, and if you go to titcoin.org, it'll also redirect to bitcoin.org. So just in case you're trying to search for titcoin, um, you will be taken to Bitcoin. I just, it was another just small thing. Gen the genius of this man. I hope you, people are paying attention to what's going on here. Great URL. Alex, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hop down to give uh, space for somebody else to jump up as uh, Dale comes back in. But thank you so much for having me on stage. And as always, it's a pleasure. You bet, man. Thanks for hanging, Pete. All right, we are going to be rearranging the stage uh, pretty substantially here shortly. we got a bunch of people coming. We've got Nat coming, Nat Brunel. Uh, Sailor popped in here earlier today. He he said he's coming back on, so we'll see if he pops back in. We have Sharish, uh, who is the head of Treasury and Investor Relations for MSTR, should be on here. Uh, we already have Stefan Lavera. We've got Dante Cook somewhere in the crowd shoot him an invite so we can get him up here. Dante is in charge of Swan Business. So for companies that are interested in putting Bitcoin on their balance sheet, Dante is the, uh, the Swan team specialist that does those types of things. And so we'll have him up here. This should be a pretty interesting discussion. Once again, uh, Sharish Jajodia, I hope you said, I said your name correctly, sir. Head of Treasury and Investor Relations for MSTR. Welcome. Good morning. Thanks for joining us, man. Hi, everyone. Good morning. And this is right. My name is Shirish. Excellent. Uh, so first time on Cafe Bitcoin. Welcome. Uh, we basically talk about Bitcoin all day, every day in here. Uh, I shouldn't say all day. For at least two hours every single day, we talk about Bitcoin. Uh, and today we're going to be featuring MicroStrategy. Uh, specifically MicroStrategy World uh, 2023. I'm guessing tons of people have uh, are interested in knowing more about this thing. Also knowing more about MicroStrategy's strategy when it comes to Bitcoin on the balance sheet. I don't know if you came here thinking you were going to answer questions about that, but I'm personally interested in it, and I'm sure many others are as well. Um, before we dig into the MicroStrategy world topic, do you uh, have any thoughts uh, on that? I mean, it's a pretty exciting thing. I know a lot of people who are buying MSTR are doing it uh, sort of as a proxy maybe to get exposure to Bitcoin. Uh, do you have any thoughts or anything you want to say about that before we roll on to other things? Great. Thanks, Alex. So uh, let me begin with a little bit of intro about myself, then I can get into MSTR's strategy and talk about uh, what we have in the public domain. So 
uh, my comments I refer to everything and you know whatever is public. So uh, yeah, so I am Shari Jajodia. I'm the vice president of Treasury and Investor Relations at MicroStrategy, uh, and uh, uh, I lead both of these functions. So all things around Bitcoin strategy, uh, leading our capital markets effort, uh, and raising different forms of capital to buy more Bitcoin and uh, maintaining all our, you know, uh, strat uh, the vendor relationships and also our investor relations. So existing investors and future investors. So uh, I kind of lead all that. And uh, a little bit about my background. So prior to joining MicroStrategy, I spent over a decade in investment banking uh, in Asia, India, uh, London, and New York. So I did m and advisory, leverage finance, and capital markets uh, focused on uh, tech and energy sectors. So uh, coming from a TradFi background, extensive background there, and I'm personally Bitcoiner, class of 2017. So in 2017, my banker colleagues used to look at me like crazy, like what is, what is this guy even doing? And uh, I mean, ever since I started learning more about it, there is no turning back and thankfully so. So uh, I had been watching micro strategy from outside since they got caught into their Bitcoin strategy in 2020. Uh, so I was watching from outside and, you know, just following the company and that's how uh, I happened to get in touch with the right folks and uh, joined the company late 2021, so a year and a half ago, uh, at the peak of the markets. Uh, and uh, then uh, came on board here to kind of turbocharge the uh, Bitcoin strategy at MicroTrategy. And a funny thing is, uh, I joined at the peak in October 2021, and there had been several cycles of Bitcoin since then. And my ex-boss used to uh, watch MicroTrategy stock and he used to call me. He did that two or three times when Bitcoin started to drop. And then he was like, Shirish, do you want to come back? The doors are always open here. <laughs> uh, and then I think finally he gave up uh, asking me, but he, he does write to me several times that, you know, I have MicroStrategy stock on, on my radar uh, and uh, keeps watching. So it's a learning process for people. And that's how I came in to MicroStrategy. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a pretty fun ride. And uh, I'm heavily involved also in the MicroStrategy World event that we are hosting now, uh, uh, May 1st to 4th at Orlando, Florida. And for more details, I think the team has the tweet here pinned. Uh, so we'll get into more details there, but uh, uh, that, that's a little bit about my background. That's awesome. Uh, and it's very funny, actually, to me to hear uh, your your perspective as a Bitcoiner. We all have that happen, right? There are those people in our lives who call in, you know, when the Bitcoin price is doing its thing, but they call in to, to check on us just to make sure we're doing okay. You doing okay? Are you, are you all right? For those of you who don't know, uh, that was Sharish Jajodi. Uh, He's the, uh, the head of treasury and investor relations microstrategy. Microstrategy is an enterprise analytics platform built for disruption. Uh, and it's uh, it's been in the news quite a bit in relation to Bitcoin. I want to welcome Natalie Brunel. Good morning. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much. Yes, Sharish, it's been so nice to, to get to know you through this process. And MicroStrategy is really lead, leading the way. So I'm excited to attend my first world conference. Very, very grateful and excited to 
to chat about what people can learn about Bitcoin and Lightning there, because obviously going forward, I think everyone will agree that we're going to have more and more institutional adoption. And, you know, Bitcoin's good for everyone. So thanks for having me this morning. Awesome. Glad, glad to have you here. So my understanding is, uh, Natalie, yourself and Stefan will both be hosting um, for, for MicroStrategy World. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We will serve as MC. I, I will actually be interviewing Michael Saylor on stage in a fireside chat. So I really look forward to that. And, you know, I was actually listening to one of my older podcast episodes with Pierre Richard to prepare for an interview that I'm doing. And what was really interesting is I did it in 2021 and Michael Saylor had just announced and MicroStrategy announced the, the original move to, to acquire Bitcoin and use it as a corporate strategy. And I asked in that interview of Pierre, do you think Michael will ever liquidate? And he said, you know, we have to be tested by a bear market because that's what separates the believers from the speculators. But he said he believes that Michael Saylor will be dollar cost averaging forever. And I think he's proven that to be really true. And MicroStrategy has as well. So, you know, it's, it's really interesting to see that even amid the correction, the drop, the volatility, companies like this are saying this is going to be our long-term strategy. And we're going to see more and more companies that have, you know, cash balances. They need to diversify. They need to look into this. And, uh, and so I, I think it's going to be a really, really special event. Wow. Oh, great. And uh, thanks, Natalie. Um, it will be great to have you uh, at the event. And this is our first time doing it in person. Uh, so we have done uh, Bitcoin for corporations and Lightning for corporations virtually twice in the past. Uh, and uh, we'll be doing this first time in person. So we are very excited. Excellent. Welcome back, Stefan. Can you hear us okay now? Yes, country now. Sorry, guys, I couldn't. I was in before, but then I couldn't hear other people speaking and it was kind of glitching out. So I, I couldn't hear what you were saying, couldn't hear what Natalie was saying. And now I just got back and I only just now heard. Uh, but yeah, I just wanted to add that uh, I'm excited to be a part of the event and uh, grateful that uh, Shirish and the MicroStrategy team uh, asked me to come along and help out. And I think uh, I'm, I'm very excited. I think it'll be really great to have some of those more in-depth conversations with people and to hear from, you know, people who are really doing it themselves, right? Like the team of MicroStrategy and other other teams from maybe other corporations who are working on this kind of thing, because that, you know, it's, it, there's one thing to kind of talk at a high level about this idea, but it's another to actually like what is actually involved in the detail, right? Whether it's accounting and tax, whether it's regulatory, whether it's dealing with insurers or whether it's dealing with the uh, investor relations aspects of it. I think there's all these little you know, more complicated aspects that can be more easily discussed. And I'm looking forward to the conversations that come up. All right. Fantastic. Uh, want to welcome back Michael Saylor. Michael Saylor is the founder and chairman of MSTR. Uh, thanks for joining us again. Good morning. Hey, happy to be back. Yeah, exciting time. Um, this, I think that 2023 is, um, is the right time to be having a conference like this too, because a lot of things have happened in the Bitcoin world between 2020 and 2023. And um, 
you know, there are things happening even, you know, this morning. So I'm trying to make my way through a 55 page, you know, SEC versus Bittrick lawsuit that just dropped this morning. There's a, a lot of, a lot of news that has developed and a lot of things to talk about, uh, from a regulatory point of view. Um, and, uh, on the other hand, there's a ton of things that have happened in the lightning world over the past two years. I think in 2020, people were still, um, they were still focused upon, uh, when will lightning be, you know, ready for prime time. And I, and I think that with the, uh, you know, El Salvador, you know, adoption of uh, a Bitcoin Chivo wallet, we, we started to see some excitement and then when Lightning uh, was built into Cash App, that took us to a new level. And I think there's been an explosion in the Lightning ecosystem of new applications and new companies and, and new SDKs. And, and so the focus of this conference is how does a corporation um, grow their business? How do you improve your products? How do you improve your services? How do you improve your balance sheet using Bitcoin and using Lightning? in the most uh, technically astute fashion and how do you do it in a, in a corporate compliant fashion, checking all the accounting boxes, uh, disclosure boxes and legal boxes. And, and of course, there's just a lot of interest there. So this is super exciting. Um, we have a lot of very smart people on the panel right now. So if it's okay with you, Michael and Sharish, I'm going to ask one more question, just kind of open it up, let anybody uh, ask the questions that, I, that they would like. You guys can obviously hit whatever topics you think are important. Um, but just in, in the aspect of lightning, to me, it's extremely exciting. I feel like we're, we're on the verge of maybe a Cambrian explosion of innovation in the lightning space. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? And then we can maybe open it up a little. Um, well, I mean, I listen to Stefan's podcast a lot. Stefan's covered this a bunch. Uh, but, uh, and so I, I should probably, uh, let him speak first and then I will add Stefan, what are your thoughts on lightning? Oh, well, I'm very excited to hear that. Thank you, Michael. I'm a big fan of you and of your work. Um, but, uh, let me throw in a few comments on what I'm seeing in the lightning world to answer your question. I think we are starting to see more integrations happen. And I think that is enabling more people to be able to use lightning. I think. You know, the vision, you know, lightning in the early years was a bit difficult because we saw, uh, you know, early difficulties with payment reliability. And now a lot of that reliability has been improved. We are seeing more and more different means, uh, you know, different types of wallets that are enabling all kinds of transactions in a very frictionless way. And so a quick example is something like Albi, who are using a standard like WebLN. And so this is a way to make the web work very natively with lightning. And so it's like this very breezy experience where you literally can, you know, whether that is somebody's lightning address or whether it is a lightning uh, invoice that comes up on that site, it helps you more easily quickly pay that. And it makes commerce on the web so much more um, smooth and just easy, right? Whereas I'm sure if anybody here has, you know, done an international wire or even with credit cards, the amount of time it takes um, so in the lightning world, we're seeing this kind of innovation. We're seeing innovation that's making it a little bit more private also for those people who are interested in that. We're seeing things like Nostra, 
this entire decentralized, you know, social media protocol. And it's not just a social media protocol. It technically stands for notes and other stuff transferred by relays. And so you can sort of think of it kind of like a decentralized Twitter is just the first app and people are zapping each other using Lightning there as well. So these are just a few of the things that we're seeing in the world of Lightning. I think maybe one other aspect is uh, LSPs. So Lightning service providers are becoming uh, a little bit more professionalized and we're starting to see people more professionally talk about the questions of Lightning routing and things like this. So uh, I think I'll uh, leave my comment there and just see uh, if anybody else has uh, something else they would like to add. Yeah, the thing, um, the thing I would add to that, uh, Stefan, is, um, you know, I, I think that everybody understands Bitcoin as this uh, monetary network. But of course, the only way you can get to a monetary network is to have a secure network. And the way we get to security is with proof of work and 350 or 340 exahash. So that idea that you've got the world's most secure computer network made it appropriate to put money on. But the entire world is focused upon cybersecurity right now and trust. And so if I can, if I can build the world's most uh, secure network that's unhackable by a nation state or by a corporation, then I can start to integrate networks that require security and I can manifest that security and interoperate uh, with many other networks. So I think that Bitcoin uh, gives us the ability to create a protocol like Lightning and Lightning then emerges as the global permissionless secure transaction network. And when you start thinking about transactions, the obvious one is to send $20 from point A to point B and a second for a 20th of a penny or something. But uh, you know, the next idea is to send a secure message. And the next idea is a secure login. And the next idea is a secure um, authentication or, or a, a verification uh, that's integrated. And uh, this conference is all about corporations building cool applications to enhance their products and services. So, so um, when, when you have a global protocol that allows you to move data in a permissionless fashion, like say TCP IP, it's gonna change the world. And when you have voice over IP, it's gonna change the world. And when you have MP3 and MP4 files, you know, the MP3 pops up in an iPod and then all of a sudden it pops up in music sharing and then it leads to MP4 and pretty soon you've got global, you know, audio and video over IP and it changes the world. And so now I think with, uh, with Lightning, you've got this open, uh, open secure transaction protocol and there are so many applications of that that it boggles the mind. And uh, right now everybody's, everybody's struggling with this issue of trust, right? Like I, I ran, a, I ran a, a survey on my Twitter profile and I said, you know, if your life depended upon it, you know, which network would you trust to protect you from uh, a hostile nation state, you know? And, uh, you know, the answer is 1% of the people trust Facebook and 3% trust Google and 5% trust Apple and 90% trust Bitcoin. So when you think a, a bit deeper about it, this issue of trust, 
you know, how can I trust you that your account is valid? How can I trust to log in with, with those credentials? You've just got this interesting challenge of public private key encryption and you, how do I use public and private keys and then exchange them in some secure fashion between Google and Facebook and Apple and, and every corporate network. And there's hundreds of thousands of them. There's millions of potential corporate networks. How are they supposed to trust each other or transact with each other, whether it's moving money or moving a credential or moving a message or simply sealing or authenticating a piece of data or protecting a piece of data? And I think that, uh, I think people are becoming, A, they're becoming aware that Bitcoin is the most powerful trust network in the world. B, Lightning is this open protocol that levers the Bitcoin, uh, the, the Bitcoin security in order to convey and share this trust. C, nobody trusts anything coming at them with the AIs uh, that are exploding now. Now, yeah, you've got artif artificial intelligence bots and you could, in theory, you could spin up 100,000 fake bots on Twitter that are more articulate and more entertaining than real people. And uh, now the question is, who am I talking to? <laughs> and who do I trust? And if, if the AI bot is actually more human than the actual human is, you're gonna have to think differently, or I guess to paraphrase Steve Jobs, think different, think different about trust. And so this conference is really introducing the idea that that Bitcoin and Lightning, they're more than just a way to save money or a, a way to store value. They're actually technology that, uh, that is essential to, uh, to corporate developers creating the next generation of applications in a world uh, threatened by AI attacks and threatened by toxicity and struggling to trade and struggling to communicate and cross-communicate across networks. So that, that's what I'm excited about here. Michael, I just want to jump in because I'm, I'm really excited to learn. I think that these types of events are, are critical for, for whether you're new or you've been in the space for a while to really learn where it's all going. And Bitcoin really is that compliant ethical base layer that we have come to trust with Lightning being built up on top of it, as you mentioned, that secure transaction network and that's going to allow that trust to be conveyed between counterparties. And it's the way that companies will integrate with Facebook and with Google. You can digitally seal that message, that piece of content in the world of AI to authenticate it. And that's something that I'm fascinated by. And I know you've, you've mentioned this before, I think, in interviews, but you've kind of compared it to an, uh, Bitcoin being the digital version of what was once analog seals, right? Can you can you share a little bit about that? I think that's a powerful analogy of what cryptography can do in a world of trying to verify and secure data. Yeah. Um, so ask me the question one more time, just so I know what the question is you want me to address. Yeah, the, the wax seals. You seal yeah. a message. Before we had the analog version and, and you could verify and authenticate something. Today, we get to do it digitally and Bitcoin is that secure base layer that that you can trust. Yeah, I think um, 
I think the interesting issue is you've got blue checks on Instagram and you've got blue checks on Twitter and you've got verification checks on YouTube and then you've got blue checks on iMessage. And yet there's no universal standard for you to swap them or, or to cross, uh, cross authenticate them. And, um, and so what we've got here is a need in the world for authenticity and verification. In fact, um, ironically, I've even got, um, I've got a blue check, um, on my, uh, corporate email address. And uh, it's a, my corporate email address is sailor, S-A-Y-L-O-R, at microstrategy.com. And so I've installed uh, digital certificates uh, that will crypt cryptographically prove that that's a, that's a real message for me. And so now you have, you have all these important networks, the Microsoft Office, you know, Office 365 network and the Amazon and the Apple and the Google and the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram, all these networks and everybody kind of knows you need some kind of branded authenticity and yet there's no universal standard. There's no unit and, and for there to be a universal standard, it's got to be open, permissionless, ethical. It's got to be technically sound. Uh, and, uh, it, you know, it took years and years, uh, for lightning to be worked out and we're still working on it. And it's based upon Bitcoin, which has taken many more years. So it's gotta be technically sound. It's gotta be ethically sound and ethical means, uh, you can't have one issuer. You can't have one company that's benefiting from it, right? The reason TCPIP won and the reason that DECnet and token ring didn't win the networking world is because deck digital owned DECnet and IBM owned token ring and they were getting the royalties from it. And people wanted a royalty free open protocol, uh, to do networking with. And eventually they settled upon that open protocol. So yet you, you need open, you need ethical and fair, you need technically sound it needs to work. And, and of course, with regard to something that's value-based, it needs to be economically sound. I mean, there's the key to 21 million is conservation of energy. And if there's no hard conservative protocol, then eventually, uh, eventually all the security and the underlying base layer, uh, inflates away or evaporates away, just like the security and the peso and the economic security in the boulevard evaporate away. You can't build anything substantial on them. So I think, uh, I think that uh, the really big idea coming here uh, and over the next year or two is people are going to start to see lightning as that open protocol for transaction and for uh, authentication and cross authentication security. You know how, you know how when you log in right now, you can log in with Google or you can log in with Apple or you can log in with Facebook and people look at those and they think, uh-uh, like, am I going to trust Google with all my passwords? Am I going to trust Apple with all my passwords? Am I going to trust Facebook with all my passwords? And of course, we just established that 90% of the people in, you know, in the uh, Twitter community that follow me, they don't trust any of those networks with all their passwords. So when uh, you know, when someone shows up with a court order 
or a subpoena, they're going to decommission your account and they're going to rip away your access and your verification from all of those networks, right? Uh, if you're trusting them. So what's the best idea? And I think uh, Noster, Noster showed us a hint of what, could, what is to come, which is using a public and a private key uh, uh, pair, right? Our encrypted pair in order to establish your identity. And uh, there's extraordinary enthusiasm because they're really pioneering new area there. But um, I'll give you a very interesting, an interesting thought. My email, sailor, S-A-Y-L-O-R at microstrategy.com. What if it was a lightning address? You know, when I saw these lightning addresses where people could actually create a lightning address that looks like an email, you know, I immediately went to Wallet of Satoshi and I created one and I created a few more. And then you can take that lightning address and you can post it uh, on Noster to receive zaps. And I did. And I thought that's kind of magical. And then people said, well, you know, the problem is these things look like email addresses. What if you accidentally send, um, send um, a Bitcoin to an email address or something? And I, and I looked at it and I thought, well, wait a minute, we're creating enterprise software and we're plugged into the Active Directory. Why don't we just convert every single corporate email address into a lightning address so that your email is your lightning address? And so... Uh, I challenged my team to do it. And one of the things we're doing in this conference is we're, is we're showing MicroStrategy Lightning. And one of the things we've done is we've converted all the MicroStrategy email addresses. Just really a neat idea. So I'm not telling you to do it, but uh, what, I am, uh, what I am saying is, you know, you could send me zaps, you can send me Satoshis to my corporate email address right now, and they just get received. And so you're, it, it's an example of how I'm taking uh, the Microsoft Active Directory with a validated or verified email, and I'm crossing it into the Lightning domain. What if a billion email addresses uh, that are validated in Active Directory become a billion lightning addresses. And then what if I can use that or some, uh, some private key associated with that uh, to cross a third domain like an Apple domain? I, I think that uh, we're going to see an age of very rapid innovation where um, where people can start to establish their own identity and carry their identity cross networks and own their identity and, uh, and blur the distinction between messaging and, uh, and uh, data, uh, uh, data validation, and then uh, money. And that's, that's what's interesting to me. I don't know about you guys, but I'm completely nerding out right now. That's so cool. Maurice, do you have any? Go ahead, Stephen. I was going to say real quick, uh, thanks, for, thanks for all that, Michael, and, and everybody else. So I think what's so notable is the success that Mobster's had without a token. It has shown that there is a pathway forward for the broader 
decentralized applications that don't rely on issuing securities and having a token and, you know, seeing how the most successful decentralized social media basically bootstrapped itself with very limited dollars and no token uh, when, you know, similar ideas have raised hundreds of millions on the crypto side and delivered nothing. I think that's notable to see. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I think I think there's two paths forward for, for crypto, the right path and the wrong path. The wrong path is you launch 25,000 crypto networks with their own token, and most of them are just all unregistered securities, and you attempt to build on top of it using, you know, a proof-of-stake protocol. And so you've got a non-energy-based security protocol and an unregistered security and an issuing team. And, um, and that is, it's not technically wise. It's unstable technically. It's not economically wise because you end up with these crazy token economics and they're just very inflationary. And it's not ethically wise uh, just because it's just not right for one inside group to be able to manipulate the supply and enrich themselves at the cost of everybody else. And of course, it's just not legal, right? It's not compliant, not legal. So that's, that's the wrong path. And uh, a lot of the crypto industry tried to go down that path, and, and that's just kind of collapsing right now everywhere, just completely collapsing under its own weight because either technically it collapses, everything gets hacked and it falls apart, or ethically it collapses and they're being attacked in lawsuits by you know regulators, or economically it collapses because people just realize there's no scarcity, and I can't tell the difference between the 37th dog coin and the 57th dog coin, right? So... So that's not the right way. The right way is build on top of Bitcoin, which is, uh, which is properly secured with, with 350x a hash of computing power and 10 gigawatts of energy. And, uh, and it's properly economically secured with 21 million coins. And then it's ethical because it was ethically launched in a fair fair you know, ethical fashion by Satoshi. And if you do that, then you realize Satoshi's are your gas. You don't need another token. And, um, you know, the negative is you're not going to be able to finance your startup by issuing an unregistered security. So that's the negative. You're going to have to actually raise actual capital and you got to work harder. You're obviously, you're also not going to be able to monetize your startup just by selling your own unregistered security and, and call it revenue. You're going to have to actually create a product or service that people want to pay for. But, and that's why it's gone slower. But if you go slower and you build on a, on a, a more solid technical and ethical and economic base, then you get the kind of offerings that we're featuring at our conference, right? You're going to see the Lightning SDK development kits. You're going to see the Lightning APIs. You're going to see the Lightning service providers. You're going to see Lightning applications. You know, you're going to see you're going to see, of course, uh, corporations embedding lightning into their product in order to revolutionize marketing or to improve payments or improve sales or, or for cybersecurity features. And, uh, and I think I would predict that nearly everything that was thought to be an innovation in the crypto world the past decade, I think it's all going to collapse and, and you know, the the first generation of cryptos based upon crypto staking tokens are all going to collapse. 
And people are going to reimagine any of those ideas and, and rebuild them on the Bitcoin lightning type framework to the extent that they're economically rational and viable, then they'll be built using Satoshi's as gas and they'll be built with a protocol like lightning. Uh, and if they're not, there'll be a whole new set of applications people never conceived before, like cross-network authentication and digital sealing and the like. And, um, and, uh, and that will usher in a new renaissance, which will take us up by a factor of 100 from where we are right now. Absolutely incredible. Sharish, uh, do you have anything you want to add to what we've been discussing here? And then we'll go to some of these other questions. Hi, Alex. Sure. Thanks, Michael. So I can talk a little bit more about the conference and what to expect for, for people there. So uh, MicroStrategy World is our software user conference, uh, which is pretty typical for software companies. So May 1st to May 4th in Orlando, uh, we expect our corporate customers. So we have Fortune 500 customers uh, and hundreds of those corporates will be present there. So we thought, why not, you know, pair it up with Bitcoin and Lightning Angle as well. And so May 3rd and May 4th, we have a dedicated track on Bitcoin for corporations and Lightning for corporations. And uh, we, did the, we did Bitcoin for corporations virtually for the last two years. Uh, and uh, uh, means this time we are going in person. So the way to think about it is means for any corporates looking at adopting anything related to Bitcoin, I think of it in two ways. There are two types of angles. Either there's a finance strategy or there's a tech strategy. On finance side, uh, so that's covered on May 3rd, Bitcoin for corporations. On finance side, there can be two angles. Either somebody can uh, adopt an operating strategy which, which is like PNL related and kind of buying and selling and back and forth on Bitcoin or a balance sheet strategy, which is buy and hold, which is what MicroStrategy does. So uh, Bitcoin for corporations track will help people uh, connect with all the right vendors and uh, listen to uh, different angles on how can people acquire Bitcoin? How can they study it safely? What are the accounting? and tax implications, what are the legal and regulatory angles there. So people will get to hear the latest from the experts in the space. Um, and uh, May 4th, which is Lightning for Corporations track, that will cover the tech and product side, and which essentially helps people with, uh, you know, how can corporates think about incorporating Bitcoin and Lightning into their businesses uh, and enterprise scale applications. And on that front, Michael was elaborating more on what MicroStrategy is thinking, and we will be showcasing what MicroStrategy is building on our enterprise scale lightning side. And uh, there'll be, you know, uh, more, you know, the, the leading companies and uh, platforms that are building on lightning infrastructure, they will be present. So, so the event is essentially for any corporate executives, you know, seeking for the advice and opportunities pertaining to Bitcoin and lightning, it's for Lightning developers with product offerings that corporations can leverage. And it's for kind of the product leaders who are looking to build new products and services on top of the Bitcoin network. And last but not the least, also for any Bitcoin enthusiasts who are looking at different opportunities and to network uh, with the corporations and, and the key people in the space. Uh, and actually, one more thing before, before I end. Uh, uh, on the fun side of things, 
And so we have booked uh, the entire Universal Studios uh, on May 2nd, the prior day before the Bitcoin event. So uh, anybody who signs up for the event has access to uh, the Universal Studio theme park party on the evening on May 2nd. That will be fun. Uh, that's exclusively booked for MicroStrategy. And, and on the May 3rd evening, we are also doing a Bitcoin private party on uh, which all the re registrants to the event will have access to. So it's going to be a fun, fun event. Thank you. All right. Uh, I want to welcome up Dante Cook. Dante is the head of Swan Business. And uh, welcome. Good morning. Hey, good morning. Uh, Sharish, uh, Michael, thank you guys. Thank you, Michael Strategy, for, you know, putting on this, this event. You know, certainly over the last month or so, I've had more conversations with finance leaders, with board members and executives of businesses of all sizes. And I would just love to hear from you all as kind of officers at a publicly traded company who kind of sit on the other side of the door um, in boardrooms and in these conversations, maybe with institutions or funds or some of these larger players. What do you think is needed for Bitcoin companies to close that gap between communicating with orange-pilled Bitcoiners at Pacific Bitcoin or these types of conferences where everyone in the room is a Bitcoiner, we kind of get it. We're kind of already on the mission. What do you think are the materials or the content or the tools necessary that Bitcoin companies need to cross the chasm with, you know, what I would call the enterprise or kind of the existing, existing tradfied leadership uh, within these large enterprises? I'd love to hear your perspective on that. Yeah, I'll start and then I'll pass the floor to anybody else um, that may have comments. I, I think, first of all, we just have to, we have to start by making sure we educate people on the difference between a, a, a crypto commodity like Bitcoin and a crypto asset security like all the other crypto tokens. Uh, because uh, a big corporation uh, can deal with a commodity but you can't trade or manage or build technology on a security. Um, it just, it ends up being uh, impossible. It's not, you can't build a compliant product or service on top of a security. So making sure that people understand, understand the difference between Bitcoin and crypto, I think is the number one step. The number two step is answer, answer people's questions about uh, safe, uh, safe and appropriate and compliant ways to acquire Bitcoin, custody Bitcoin, uh, account for Bitcoin, uh, disclose Bitcoin, all the legal issues and, and the like. So people just need that, that set of information about how to do that properly. And then the question people normally have is if you're an application developer, how do I build a great application? How do I build a great product or a great service using Lightning? or with, with either Bitcoin embedded in it, or with Lightning and Bitcoin embedded in it? How do I build something that's gonna delight my customers or my employees or my partners or my shareholders, but especially partners, customers, employees, those are your constituents. How do you give them a product offering that's better? And then how do I build that in a compliant fashion? So. I, you know, I say to you, you can build a, a money transfer application. It's a million times faster than, than uh, the traditional 20th century banking apps, and it's a million times cheaper. Okay, well, that's interesting. A million times faster, a million times cheaper. 
okay, how do I do it? Now, the second question is, how do I do it compliant? Like, how do I do it in a, in a way that, that uh, is appropriate for my corporation that doesn't get me in trouble? And so the, all of that is education, really. Lots of education and, uh, and bringing people together. And that's, you know, that's the justification for, justification for a conference like this, to make it an educational experience, to help people figure out how to create something compelling and do it in the appropriate fashion. Brady. Hey, good morning, everybody. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. I'd like to turn back to AI for a moment. It's such a hot topic right now. And we've been relying on ChatGPT more and more for our work here at Swan, both on the engineering and marketing sides of the house. The newly dropped AutoGPT can prompt itself to accomplish more complex human prompts. Uh, and we saw a video drop a few days ago where AutoGPT built a website in like a matter of minutes with only spoken prompts from the developer. And I'd love to hear more of your thoughts about the rapid pace of AI capabilities and about MicroStrategy AI strategy uh, to the extent that you can speak about it here. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't want to really derail the conversation by talking about uh, MicroStrategy's corporate enterprise business intelligence business because this was primarily about you know, Bitcoin and Lightning for corporations. And so I'll just say a few, few comments on AI because um, we could talk about it for hours or days, really, and I'm sure we will. I think it's it's profoundly disruptive to many, many, many industries. I think we're, we're all starting to grasp that this is really an extraordinary thing. You know, I've got a phrase, technology fails until it succeeds. I think that um, people dabbled with Google Voice and Surrey and Alexa. And, you know, pe people have been working on speech recognition since the 70s at MIT. And uh, so 20, 30, 40, 50 years, people have been working on these things, right? Uh, and they were interesting, but they were not commercializable and compelling. And I think it's somewhere in the middle of 2022 and the beginning of 2023, we crossed an event horizon or, or we crossed this, this inflection point where AI is clearly going to have an impact on lots of industries. It's, gonna, it's going to profoundly disrupt education and profoundly disrupt entertainment and profoundly disrupt product development. And it's going to profoundly disrupt all sorts of areas of security. It's going to, it's going to change people's views on lots of things. And so there's a hundred different industries or marketplaces that are affected, you know, for micro strategy and specific, you, you start to ask the question of, can I create an intelligent agent that will review a bunch of proprietary corporate data continuously and then, uh, and then come back and give me insights to questions that I haven't asked yet, right? Can you give me the answer to the question I have yet to ask? Tell me what question I should ask. Tell me what the answer is. And then even make, make a suggestion about how I ought to react based upon the observation. And um, that's, you know, that's a, a very different way to view business intelligence. So I think it's exciting, interesting. Every, 
everybody has a different threat or a different opportunity from AI, right? There are many businesses that are threatened. For example, I noted you could spin up a hundred million Twitter account that all are look like real people that are more articulate and more entertaining than the actual people. And, uh, and so that sounds like a threat in one way, right? I mean, what if I spent up a hundred million people that happen to have a certain point of view and I just flood the news stream with that? That's a threat. But the opportunity is I can create intelligent bots. I can, I can say, hey, scan everything in the crypto ecosystem every morning and then report the news back to me and tell me tell me what I should be concerned about. And, you know, maybe I turn that into a bot that's useful newsfeed. So there's opportunities, there's threats, there are products in response. Like maybe on Twitter right now, we, we've talked about the orange check. Um, if you want to defeat a hundred million AI bots, then one way to defeat them is to require that you post a hundred thousand Satoshis per account as a security deposit and, and, or, you know, put in place some other micro transactional, uh, payment because uh, I'm, I'm more interested in, in, um, if I can create a billion fake people, I guess I can't take a vote online about what the popular sentiment is because there might be one evil genius behind the billion fake accounts. So I'm going to have to think differently about this. And so if you're willing to put up $20 per person, then it costs you $20 billion to fake the vote. Whereas uh, if, it, if uh, you can just pass a CAPTCHA, which an AI can pass, then it's different. So I think, uh, I think everybody's got an opportunity and they've got a threat. You know, it's like the question is, <clears throat> how are you going to react? You know, if you're, if you're a university like, like an Ivy League university and you've got a thousand professors, maybe they're threatened by an AI professor and they want to stop it. But if you don't have any professors, maybe you can spin up 1,000 AI professors that are going to give everybody a PhD for free. And so... I, I think that this is a, t my, my thought or my advice to anybody, this is the advice I gave to my own executives at MicroStrategy. And this is the advice I would give to anybody in any company in the world or any individual. I would about, this is the advice I gave to the people at the Sailor Academy. I said, study this and think really hard about how you can make your offering better an order of magnitude better or a million times better. And then if you can, maybe you should, because if you don't and your competitor does, then maybe you're irrelevant. So I, I think everybody kind of has to look at this as new technology and figure out how to make themselves a million times better before they are rendered irrelevant by the thing. And I, I don't want to give specific advice to specific industries because literally there's a hundred thousand different business models and every business model will be affected to a greater or lesser extent. The real question, if you want to, if you want to put this in, in, you know, if you want to frame it in a most, most theoretical way, I would say AI represents digital intelligence. 
Bitcoin represents digital energy, digital money, digital property, but let's just say digital energy on the left side of the table and digital intelligence on the right side of the map. Everything in the world that is energy-based is going to be rebuilt around digital energy. Bitcoin is going to, is going to um, manifest itself and disrupt $500 trillion worth of stuff that has energy in it. Every security, every piece of property, every bond, every currency, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I've talked about that on Finitum. If you want to say, what's the significance of AI? I say, it's digital intelligence. So ask the question, what do you know in the world that has intelligence in it, right? Which is all entertainment, all education, all books, all governance, right? All, pro all services, you know, and even products. If you can put intelligence into your robot, intelligence into your service, intelligence, you know, like, what, why don't, what if I had a tutor that was free that had 1,000 PhDs that knew everything about every subject that was willing to dote on me for a nickel a day? Maybe that changes the way I think about higher education, right? I mean, literally. And so I think that AI is going to disrupt anything that has intelligence. And if you, if you have a product or a service that has manual intelligence where you have to use expensive human labor, then that's going to collapse because digital intelligence is going to deliver intelligence a million times cheaper. If you have a product that has analog energy in it, maybe that's going to collapse because digital energy is a million times better. And, um, you know, and, and, uh, I think, uh, I think everybody just uh, should probably just sit up and think really hard and figure out how it changes your world and how, the way you make a living. And uh, is it an opportunity for you or is it a threat to you? Well, one of the things that I think that like, I do appreciate the Bitcoin community and how we're always kind of going out to the edge. I'm going to be honest with like a lot of the crew because I'm just having phone conversations with business owners, like all across the country, the questions that I get, like the majority of the time are not about AI. It's about like, what is an, in, an indefinite intangible asset? Um, how do I properly account for this thing and value this thing? How do I get this thing added as a general ledger on my QuickBooks when I receive a Bitcoin transaction on my website? Uh, how come I have to mark down the value of this Bitcoin as an impairment loss potentially on my balance sheet, but when it goes up in value, uh, I can't actually accrue that the, the capital gain value uh, on that as well on my books. And so, I mean, Michael and, and, and team, I know we're going to have lots of kind of innovative things out there. And I think you talked about just kind of doing things in a standard and compliant way. I'm more uh, in tune with this conversation than others are. And, and you mentioned this way back, I think maybe in the fall or early in January about potential changes to fair accounting standard rules on being able to account for the appreciated value of Bitcoin on your balance sheet and not just the impairment loss or the capital loss that you have when the value goes down. Tell me, what do you think like the value that that will have for businesses and corporations on being able to value it 
not only on the downside, but also on the upside? You know, so the, I mean, the first point would be we're at, we've actually got sessions on, uh, on legal and regulatory issues, all of discussions. So we've got an accounting and tax panel at, uh, at this conference coming up. So people that want to get the latest update, you should come because uh, on the accounting and tax panel, we've got Amy Park, who's a partner at, uh, at Deloitte, and she has been intimately involved with all of the accounting developments, and, and she can give an update on the FASB process uh, to adopt fair value accounting for, uh, for Bitcoin. Uh, we've also got um, Ron, Rob Massey from Deloitte, and, and we've got uh, Noah Herman, who's Chief Revenue Officer at Fortress. And our CFO, Andrew Kang, will be on that panel. So, so we've got a lot of experts to discuss that. Um, what's been going on is for the last three years, there's been a process to actually upgrade the accounting for digital assets and Bitcoin in particular from indefinite intangible to fair value accounting. Um, I think we're expecting uh, that we've gone through three or four successive milestones that have been positive. There seems to be a sentiment uh, to adopt fair value accounting. We're expecting, uh, hopefully, uh, third quarter, fourth quarter of this year, something tangible in that area. And they'll give an update at this conference as to exactly what the time frame is and whether it's shifted or not. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's at this point more a question of uh, when as opposed to if that will happen. And to answer your question, What's the impact? I think the impact is profound and good. Um, and I, I think that the accounting has been a liability. Indefinite intangible accounting is a liability for corporate adoption of Bitcoin and has been holding the industry back. And I think that fair value accounting is pretty essential for this to be embraced by large numbers of corporations. Because in the absence of fair value accounting, it's, it's always going to go down in value. It will never be marked up in value. So it looks like a liability to a CFO. And you, you would have to be very innovative and, and, uh, and be willing to take risk and answer a lot of questions to do it as a definite and tangible. But as fair value accounting, what it means is, you know, if you buy the Bitcoin at 30000 and it, and it it goes down to 15,000 while you would take an investment loss below the line for a quarter. But then when it doubles and doubles again, you would have an investment gain uh, that would reverse it and you would uh, adjust those on your balance sheet. So it means that companies that have substantial Bitcoin positions will have investment gains over time to offset any investment losses. And your balance sheet will start to reflect the actual value of your Bitcoin on it, you know, end up for the periods in question. So, so that's, that's, that's really important uh, for us to see companies like be, before Apple or Google or Facebook buy tens of billions of dollars of Bitcoin, you're going to have to have a situation where it's deemed uh, a fair value uh, or fairly valued. You know, if, if, um, if Berkshire Hathaway had to use an indefinite and tangible accounting, they would have no investment income. And, uh, you know, Warren Buffett would not be a successful investor. So, um, so I think that uh, it's a good thing that it's happening. I mean, the good news is there is consensus to adopt fair value accounting. 
The other good news is that we're getting close to the end of, we see the light in the tunnel there. Uh, the actual details we'll discuss at our conference. And, um, and I would say, you know, I would say that uh, if we want wide scale corporate adoption, then it's pretty important because most CFOs are very conservative and they're not going to want to adopt. Uh, they're not going to want to spend material amounts of money on an asset that, uh, that is difficult to account for where they can never show their shareholders an investment gain. So, so it, that's, the, that's the negative. The positive it is if you're a pioneer or you're an innovator, or you want to take the risk, you get to buy your Bitcoin sooner and get it cheaper. And uh, as I said before, by the time they work out all of the all of the issues, when all of the liabilities of crypto uncertainty are stripped away from the Bitcoin asset, well, then you'll be paying 10 times as much to buy in. So it is one of those things where, where um, eventually everybody gets Bitcoin at the price they deserve. So eventually people will not have to deal with the accounting headache and they'll be buying the Bitcoin at hundreds of thousands of coins. And that is, that is the other, you know, amusing observation there. Anybody else have any comments or questions? I have to hop off, but I just want to say thank you so much. I'm really honored to be a part of the the conference. Looking forward to interviewing you, Michael. Thank you so much for all of your leadership and insight. I know all of us are so grateful that you you took the time to stop by. Sharif, thank you, thank you so much as well. Getting to know you has been fantastic and and just really grateful. Thanks everyone for joining us this morning. I I, I have to get going, but looking forward to to being in Orlando. Awesome. Thanks for hanging, Nat. Uh, for those of you who don't know, MicroStrategy World, May 1st through the 4th, there is a link in the nest. You can buy tickets with a discount uh, using SWAN30, S-W-A-N-3-0. Sharish, do you have uh, any other comments that you want to make? Yeah, I think we covered it. So it would be great uh, to see everyone at Orlando and... It's going to be fun. So looking forward to meet a lot of new folks in person. Uh, and uh, it will be a great event. Yeah, I'll like those thoughts. If anybody, uh, if you do make it to Orlando, we'll look forward to seeing you. It should be a good time. And uh, otherwise, I want to thank everybody for their time today. And thanks for your support of Bitcoin. And thanks for your support of Lightning. And for all the MicroStrategy boosters out there, thank you for your support as well. We do appreciate it. I think 2023 is really an exciting year and uh, and the next three or four years are going to be much more exciting even than the last three years. And so this is a good time to be in this business. Fantastic. Uh, Michael, want to thank you for being here once again. That was awesome. Sharish, thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing uh, tons of incredible things that MicroStrategy is working on uh, and the direction of this entire ecosystem is very exciting to be here. By the way, if you guys want to hang out, we'll be here as long as you want to be. <laughs> All right, he bounced. Uh, okay, so really quick before we continue on here, I uh, just want to say Pacific Bitcoin Conference is coming up. Uh, if we can grab a link and put it up in the nest. There's a uh, promotion that we've got coming on that I haven't mentioned before. I did talk to uh, Kristen 
who's part of Swan. She she basically uh, is a one woman army. Uh, <laughs> managed the entire Pacific Bitcoin thing last year. Uh, which turned out to be absolutely fantastic. Anybody who is there knows exactly what I'm talking about. Sailor, in Sailor's own words, he thought it was going to be the best uh, Bitcoin conference of the year. And it, I, I don't think it disappointed. I think everybody that we've talked to who went to that thing, uh, it was, it was mind-blowing. Like for me personally, I've been to tons of conferences and I can tell you that, that it felt intimate. Everywhere you walked around, you were, you were bumping into Bitcoiners who you're going to know. Uh, I mean, it was just super cool. Like you, you could go out for to the taco trucks at lunch and there's sailors standing there uh, talking to a ton of Bitcoiners. And it's just like, it's that small and that intimate that everybody uh, is basically just there talking to each other. It's fantastic. So we're doing a special promotion. For those of you who don't know, at, at Bitcoin 2023 in Miami, Swan is doing this thing called the Swan House. So we're renting a mansion, essentially. I think it's on Star Island or one of the islands over there. I don't know. But it's going to be a place for Swan Private clients to hang out. We're going to have speakers from the conference there. Uh, and, and we're going to be doing some Swan Private events. Here's the promo. If you buy a VIP ticket to Pacific Bitcoin, we're going to enter you in a drawing to uh, come hang out at the Swan House on, uh, at Pacific Bitcoin 2023 to get a preview of what it's like to be a Swan private client. So go check that out. Link should be in the nest, whether, you, where you're, whether you're buying a VIP or a regular ticket should be up there. Anything else to add, Brady or Stefan? Uh, no, I think that's it. Unfortunately, guys, I had some issues, a lot of issues with my Twitter spaces. So I was bugging out and not able to get into the uh, speaker slot, but uh, fantastic spaces from what I was able to hear. Just, you know, uh, I think it was a great conversation and I'm looking forward to seeing people there at MicroStrategies, Bitcoin and Lightning for Corporations, as well as Pacific Bitcoin. I'm uh, very proud to be involved with both events and looking forward to seeing all the Bitcoiners out there. So make sure you uh, use the SWAN codes and uh, I'll see you all there. Fantastic. You yeah, can go Alex, to, real quick. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish up. Finish up. Sorry. I was just going to say, you can go to PacificBitcoin.com for more information. By the way, also, something else you should probably check out is Swan IRA. Uh, that's swan.com slash IRA. If you're interested in having Bitcoin in your IRA, either an existing that you can transfer over or uh, if you want to start a new one. Go ahead, Brady. Yeah, yeah. Swan.com slash IRA. And I think today is the last day to transfer a rollover uh, any funds from 2022 into a, um, or to contribute, uh, for 2022, uh, you can set up a new IRA. You have a Swan account already in like two minutes, you can be contributing to a new IRA and you can transfer or roll over, uh, really easily as well. And the Swan team will help you do that. So awesome to have Michael here today. And, uh, thanks Alex for hosting great hosting as usual, man. And to the whole, uh, cafe Bitcoin team. This show is something special and uh, just glad to be able to come up here and be a part of it sometimes. Yeah, it was a great time. Uh, Yellow, I'm talking. Yellow. For those of you who don't know, Swan is not sponsoring Yellow, I'm just saying. I just wanted to ask if if, if, if he's gone. He's not here, right? Sailor left, man. 
If that's what okay, thank on. God, Nick. The guy was always like interrupting spaces with his like, I have had her 40 bitcoins, you know. Okay, we get it. All right. I want to thank everybody for being here today. This has been a fantastic show. We do it every single day. If you missed it, we do it every day. Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern. Roll for two hours. Talk about all things Bitcoin. Uh, that is a wrap. You've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin, the place for your morning news. Prefer to hang out for some of the smartest minds in the industry. Also a podcast on Fountain, Spotify, and Apple if you can't catch the live show. A couple of quick things. Tomorrow on Cafe Bitcoin, we've got Alpha Zeta. Man, I'm so excited for this. Nakamoto Portfolio Theory and why the fair value of Bitcoin is actually higher than 375,000 US dollars per coin. Don't miss that. This is one of the smartest dudes I think I've run into in this industry. His brain is like a supercomputer. I can't wait to hear what he has to say about this. Stratum V2, fundraiser Stratum V2 is the missing piece of the decentralization puzzle for Bitcoin. If you want to contribute to Bitcoin in a big way, donate to this project, link in the nest. Thanks to Swan Bitcoin, the sponsor of this show. My crew, Ant, Peter, Sats for Live, producer Jacob. I'm your host, Alex Danzig, and I work with Swan. If you want to know more, shoot me a DM. I'm happy to help you. Thanks again to all the speakers who've been here. Michael, Jerish, everybody, the regular crew who comes on here every day and spends their personal time to teach people about this bright orange feature. This is what we call getting on the mission. If you don't know what that means, hang out. You will figure it out. I love all you guys. Everybody have a great day. Get out there and crush it. <laughs>